All right, good afternoon, everyone. Uh, I have, like Pastor Sam mentioned, the special privilege of introducing to you guys our new series. Uh, we're moving from our <clears throat> Let Us Love series, and we're moving on to the parables of Jesus. Uh, next week, we'll be talking about the parable of the soils. But for those of you who don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story or an illustration that Jesus shares but there's a very specific uh, purpose behind it. Uh, the disciples actually ask him this question in chapter 13, verse 10, and listen to what he says. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. You see, parables was a way for Jesus to share the secrets of the kingdom of heaven. And, you know, when you stop and, and sit and really think about that, how precious and how glorious the kingdom of heaven is, and yet, in this simple illustration, he's revealing to us the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches his disciples how to pray. And one of the things he says in verse 10, it says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, our prayer is that your kingdom be done, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So for us to have this prayer that we want God's kingdom to come and his will to be done on earth just as it is in heaven, we need to know what the kingdom of heaven looks like. We need to search these parables and dig and, and find the secrets that Jesus is teaching us through these parables. And so we need to search like, uh, these are some funny illustrations, but we need to search like a programmer that searches for that one corrupted piece of code, right? Or search like the mom that has to find that last piece of lice on their kid. You guys kind of get the idea, right? You have to search, you have to dig deep, right? To find these truths because there are eternal things at hand here. We're talking about the secrets of the glorious kingdom of heaven. Right? And so the parable that we look at today in Matthew chapter 7, 24 through 27, about the wise builder and foolish builder, I want to give you guys some context, some background information before we get into the text, and I think it'll help color our understanding of it. Uh, this parable comes from the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' first sermon that he introduces to the world from chapter 5 through 7, and he's introducing what his kingdom is going to be like. The, the, the kingdom that he brings about, its rules, its morals, its ethics, the type of people that enter into it. You know, when you go into a different country, you have to quickly learn uh, its customs, uh, its laws, uh, the, the way they handle things, its culture, its ethics, its morals. And the same way, he's saying, now as you guys enter into my kingdom, the kingdom of heaven that is now on earth, as you guys enter into it, you guys need to know what are the ethics? How do people get into the new kingdom of heaven? What are the morals? And all those things. And so we see from chapter 5, he's explaining these things. Uh, take a look with me in verse 3. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Those who are poor in spirit are the ones that are entering into the kingdom of heaven. Verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And he starts to explain the types of people that this kingdom is going to be filled with. As we go on in verse 21 through 30 and on, he starts to talk about that the ethic of this new kingdom is not just someone who does something that's right, but it's 
the heart of the matter, right? It's not just someone who doesn't murder, but it's someone who even is not angry, right? It's not just someone who doesn't commit adultery, but it goes further down to the heart. Someone doesn't lust in their heart. And so we see this kingdom being brought down to heaven, and people are beginning to understand with Jesus as king, what does this kingdom look like? And he's inviting them to this. And what we see at the end of chapter 7, which is where our parable is at, at the very end, he gives four warnings. And I think this is so important for us because he gives, us, he gives these warnings to help us understand, hey, you might think that to enter into the kingdom of heaven, it's this way, by the world's principles, the world's guidelines. But I'm telling you, do not be deceived. Do not, at the end of the day, realize that you've, did, you've done it all wrong, if you've, you've followed the wrong things, you've obeyed the wrong people, and make sure that you're not deceived, right? So just kind of refresh your memory if you remember, or for those to introduce it to you. He talks first, the, the first warning is about the narrow and the wide gate, right? He says, there is this wide gate and everyone goes through it, and it's broad and it's easy to go through, but that wide road leads to destruction. And he says, walk the narrow path. The path that is hard, but it leads to eternal life. You know, there's this deception that people think in this, uh, based on their old kingdom ideas, that we can live this life however we want, just do whatever we want. It's really easy. But he says, don't be deceived. That leads to destruction. Walk the narrow path. And then he talks about these false prophets. He said, false prophets will come to you and teach you, and they are like wolves in sheep's clothing. And the way you recognize who they are is by looking at their fruit. Do they bear the fruit of the new kingdom, of the heavenly kingdom? Do they display the new ethic of love and mercy and grace and peace? Do they share those things? By their fruit, you can tell what kingdom they are a part of. Right? Don't be deceived by following these false teachers, and at the end of the day, you end up in the wrong place. The third one he talks about, <clears throat> he says, there are these people who have done all these great things, and on the last day, they say, Lord, Lord, didn't I prophesy in your name and do all these great works and miracles and healings? And the Lord will say, I never knew you. And he says to be careful. He warns them, saying, it's not just about the works that you do. In this new kingdom, it's about the relationship that you have with me. That's how you enter into this kingdom. And so there's three warnings. And the fourth warning is the parable that we're about to talk about, the parable of the wise and foolish builder. And it goes something like this. There's two builders. One builder, or the two builders want to both <clears throat> each build a house. And the first builder, he notices that the first thing that he needs to do before he even builds a house is to dig. He needs to dig deep into the foundation, uh, dig da deep down into the ground to build a foundation that he will connect himself to the rock. And he knows that even though it's messy, he knows that even though it's tiresome, even though it takes a lot of effort, he knows that in the end, it's worth it because it's going to protect his house. And then there's this other guy. He wants to build a house. He wants to build the same house. They don't make any distinctions about the type of house that's being built. <clears throat> but this man, he sees what that man over there has done and how much work it took to dig that foundation. And he says... I can cut the cost, my effort, uh, the amount of time I put in by not, just not, by not building a foundation. I could just build a house upon this, rock, uh, upon this uh, dirt, this sand area, and it'll be exactly the same. 
And so he goes and he builds the house. Now months pass and the houses are done and they're finished and they look great. You know, they're, they're modern, rustic. You know, they have an open kitchen. You know, they have good tiling, whatever it is. It's a, it's a beautiful home, both of them. Right? They look exactly the same. And this man over here, he's really pleased with himself because it looks exactly the same, but he spent half the money, half the time, and half the effort. And, you know, so they live life, and the winter season comes, the rainy season comes. And scripture says that the winds blew, the floods came, and the man who built the house with the foundation, the house stood firm. Because it was not swayed by the wind or the, it wasn't moved away by the floods because of the foundation that it had. But the other man who had the house without the foundation, it says the, way, the, the winds came and the floods uh, rose. And at first it was okay, but after a while, the water started to pull the sand and the dirt away from the, the base of the house. The stand started to run off, and the house started to not be balanced, and started to bend, until ultimately, Scripture says that it came with a great collapse. And Jesus uses this parable to warn his people. He says, these guys, they had the exact same information. They're builders. They know that you need to build a foundation. That's number one when you build any structure, right? They knew the same things. But the difference between the wise builder who built the foundation and the foolish one without it is that he took what he knew and he applied it. Whereas the foolish man, he took what he knew and decided not to apply it. It sounds so simple, right? But he says, that's what the difference is between the wise man and the foolish man. The foolish man, in other words, he hears what's going on. He hears, he knows what's going on, what needs to be done, but he chooses not to hear, if you know what I mean. Uh, there was a, family mem- a church family member that I was hanging out with, and uh, they had a little son, a three-year-old boy, don't worry, it's none of your kids, you know. Let's just say his name was Chris, right? None of you guys have a kid named Chris, right? So we were hanging out. I was hanging out with their parents. And this three-year-old boy, Chris, he's uh, just active, right? He's just a three-year-old boy. He's running around everywhere. We're at a cafe. We're just hanging out. And we just see, we're just watching him at the cor- in the corner of our eye. But he's just running around having fun. And the parents are chill. You know, they're not saying anything to him or, like, sit down or be quiet or whatever it is. But... There was this one point when I see Chris, and we're sitting over there, and he looks over, and we're all seeing this because we see it at the corner of our eyes, and he sees this potted plant, right? And he knows that he's not supposed to touch it. And so he starts to look and gauge if we're paying attention, and then he goes, and he's about to touch it, and then the dad goes, Chris, don't touch it. And then all of a sudden he goes, and then you know what he does? Touch. <laughs> and he touches it. You see, he heard what was going on, but he did not hear. You know, you know I'm, I run that scene back in my mind, and I'm like, is it because, you know, he didn't say it loud enough? 
Is it because you know, he didn't carefully explain to the son you know, what was going on and why he shouldn't touch the plant? And you run through all these scenarios, but no, in the end, it's a spiritual issue, right? It's an issue of disobedience. You hear, but you actually don't hear. And actually, this is something that is uh, very biblical in the sense that people have failed in this over and time, time again. What we see is that in Scripture, we see this phrase of people seeing but not really seeing, hearing but not really hearing. And we see it in the Old Testament before Jesus is there. We see it while Jesus is there. And even after Jesus ascends, we still see it. Okay? I want to share a, little, a few of those verses, but in Ezekiel 12.2 in the Old Testament, the Son of Man, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, who have eyes to see but see not, who have ears to hear but hear not. For they are a rebellious house. And then while Jesus was here in Mark 8, 18. Having eyes do you not see? And having ears do you not hear? Do you not remember? And then finally in Acts, after Jesus ascends, 28, 27. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their ears they can barely hear. And their eyes they have closed. So what we see is that these people, it's not a matter of hearing better, listening better. It's not about... Someone should have explained it to me better. It's about disobedience. It's a spiritual matter. And basically, Jesus is telling the crowd that he's preaching to, you know, on the Sermon on the Mount. He's saying, chapters 5 through 7, you've heard my message. You've heard my message about the kingdom. What are its ethics? What are its morals? How you enter into the kingdom of heaven? You've, I've taught you all of these things. Now, are you going to be the wise man that will apply it? to your lives, to enter into the kingdom of heaven, to live that kingdom ethic, to live that kingdom world? Or are you going to be the foolish man who hears it, glories in it, and wonders in it, it's so amazing, and yet does not apply it in your life? This is what Jesus is getting at with this parable. And what we see in the end is that for the foolish man, you know, he sees the foundation that was being built, and he says, man, that foundation took too much time, it was too costly, it's too much effort. It's not worth it for me. I'd rather do it my own way. And he begins to build a house without the foundation. He's essentially saying, God, I don't want to obey your words because I'm going to do it my way. He wants to do it his own way, right? That, that's the bottom line. Uh, Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, he has a book on the Sermon on the Mount. He studied it, and this is what he says. He wishes all to be well with him in this life and in the life to come. This is talking about the foolish man. But he wants it on his own terms and in his own way. He is impatient and dislikes all teaching and instruction that warn him that this is not sufficient if he really wants to have a satisfactory and durable edifice. He just doesn't want to listen. He wants to build his own house on his own terms and in his own way. And I think about how relevant that is to us sometimes. When we hear the word of God, and we're taught the glories of the kingdom of heaven, how mad, majestic and glorious he is, and we just say, hey, that takes too much time. That's too much effort. I want to just do it my own way. It's easier. It's cheaper. I save money. Whatever it might be, there's no cost to it. I want to just do it my way. Now, this is a specific warning that, you know, Jesus gives to his people, and it's something that I want to really press upon us today as people who come to the church, who come as 
believers who profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Because if you look at the audience that Jesus is teaching this to, they're not a bunch of rebels that want to kill Jesus, uh, at least not yet, but these people, they want to know more about Jesus. They're following after him, right? These are the crowds that are listening to him, seeing all his miracles, and they're just amazed and astounded by all the great things that he's doing. So they're listening to every word that Jesus has. And yet, some will turn away. And I wonder for us, you know, we here who come to church, and I know this is a hard saying to say, but are there people in our own, in our own church that, that come and we hear the word of God, and yet we're like the foolish man who says, you know what, I want to do it my own way. There is a subtle danger for people who are in church constantly that we need to be aware of, that we need to be cautious of, that Jesus here warns us of. And, and the idea here, I think Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon, he says it well here. He says, the common temptation, the common temptation is instead of really repenting, to talk about repentance. Instead of heartily believing, to say I believe without believing. Instead of truly loving, to talk of love without loving. Instead of coming to Christ, to speak about coming to Christ and profess to come to Christ and yet not to come at all. There is this danger for us, I, I believe, and myself included, especially as a pastor, for someone who's always talking about the spiritual things. Is there a disconnect between what we say and how we live our lives? I, the, the fear is this, that we as a people have become experts of the culture of Christianity, right? You guys get what I'm saying? Like, you come to church and you've gone enough times where you know what to say, you know when to go hallelujah, well, not here, I guess, but you know when to, you know, say amen, well, sometimes, and you know, you know, when to say, oh, I'll pray for you, brother, you know, or you know how much sin that you're allowed to share in community groups without, you know, the appropriate ones, right? Like, I'm lazy, that kind of stuff. But you can't talk about the serious sins because then they'll judge you. So, you know, we've learned this culture. I don't know where it's from, but this culture of Christianity, we say, yeah, I'm a Christian because I, I, I attend church, I pray. I, but as, when we come to church, do we really worship? As we open up God's word to read it, do we engage with God? What, what are the things that we do to meet with him personally? And that is what Jesus here is warning people about, right? I, I told you about those four warnings that he gives at the end. All four of those warnings were pe- for people that thought that they were on their way to the kingdom of heaven. And he says at the end, they realize that it wasn't the case, but it was already too late. And even in this case, he says, the man who was trying to, uh, who built the house without the foundation, it was already too late by the time the storm came. He says to examine ourselves today. Examine ourselves now. That we would not be masters uh, of the culture of Christianity and how to act and how to speak and all that stuff. But instead we'd be mastered by Jesus Christ. That he himself would lead us, that we would have this deep relationship and from that would flow our life and our obedience to him. 
I know that this is not a uh, happy message. You know, I, I don't expect you to leave like, oh, yeah, all right, that's great. I'm really happy. But I think it's a very necessary one uh, because even for Jesus here, he, he has such urgency when he's sharing this because four times he, he mentions this because he wants every single one of us on that last day to enter through that narrow road. He wants us on that last day to have that house with the foundation that is firm and in Christ to be with him in heaven. He doesn't want us to be like uh, the, the guy that did all the great works and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. Jesus is not saying these things to make your life more miserable or, or you know, to make your life harder. He's saying these things because he loves you and he wants desperately for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And so my prayer for us is that we would evaluate ourselves, that we would evaluate our hearts and examine what's going on in our hearts. And there's two things, two practical things that I wanted to give you guys. The first is that we would examine ourselves before the word of God, right? The word of God that gives us the parables, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, who teaches us the, the ethics and the morals and how to enter into the kingdom of heaven, the heart that God has for us and for others to get into his word and to examine our lives from this word. To not just say, hey, uh, I, I, I read a verse a day and that's kind of my you know, vitamin and that's good for me, but to really be cut to the core and challenged by what we read in scripture to be examined. But secondly, to be examined by the community, the people around us. You know, it's, it's oftentimes hard for us in our own minds to understand, you know, what's going on with us because we're so, so subjective, sub, so subjective with our own lives, right? Either we're really a lot better than we think we are or we're a lot worse than we think we are, right? It, we kind of go on that pendulum. But it's important for us to have godly people in our lives, objective, who are objective and are able to speak truth into our life, to correct us, to rebuke us, to encourage us, to push us along, to live in this kingdom life. And so I want to challenge you guys to get into the Word, to get into communities, to build a genuine, authentic community that you can share Christ with, and you can examine your heart and your life with, this is what Jesus desperately desires for us. And I want to just close with this. You know, that for us, as we examine our lives, as we think about, you know, am I like this foolish man who hears all these great things about the glories of God and what he desires for us, and I don't live it out? Am I like this guy? And, and, and if you are and you're thinking, man, I messed up. I want to bring the gospel into play in this situation because I think it's important for us to recognize that this is exactly the place that Jesus Christ has, has come to, has come for, right? For us to come to a point where we recognize our shortcoming, our inadequacies, that we were selfish, that we were all about trying to build up our own kingdom in our own way, in our own time, and that, that hasn't worked out for us. And we say, Jesus, I want to repent of my sins. I want to give my life to you. And I want to live 
in your kingdom. I want you to be my king. And I want to submit to you. And I want to encourage you guys, if that's where you are, to take some time to pray and confess, repent, and turn to God to enter into his kingdom and to live uh, this kingdom life. And so I want to just share this warning for us, and I pray that it will be a great time for us to examine our own hearts. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Because it's like a mirror that exposes our flaws, our our inadequacies, and God, it really tells us who we are in you, God. And Lord, so often we've been like this foolish man who hears from your word and and yet decides to do things our own way, on our own time, on our own schedule. But God, today I pray would be a time of great examination of our own hearts and our own motives, that your word would help us to come back to you, that we would be a people that recognize that you have brought us into your kingdom and you've given us a new life with a new ethic, with new morals, with new, uh, a new life for us to live, God, and we want to walk in that. Lord, I pray that you would Teach us through your word. I pray that you would surround each and every one of us with brothers and sisters uh, that can speak truth into our lives and that we ourselves would be people that speak truth into the brothers and sisters around us. So we ask all of this, Lord, in your son's name. Amen.